0: follow along. We're in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, which uh, a verse that will hit, certainly, uh, about being a cheerful giver. If you remember, last week we talked about chapter 8, kind of why giving is a good thing to do. And it's not just talking about financial giving, although that's included, and it's kind of the, it is the thing that they're talking about with these uh, Jerusalem Christians and the Problem they're having economically, uh, which we'll look at. So let's just do the first five verses here and kind of look into that a little bit. Um, verse 1 Now it is superfluous, uh, unnecessary, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying, The Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that are boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not an, as an exaction. And that's what you'll see all the time. A willing gift. We talked about that last week. You're supposed to give free will. That's why they call it that. Um, it, it doesn't, uh, we don't have an admission charge for worship. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, it's a, uh, you don't pay to get in uh, and you really don't have to pay to get out. Uh, it's kind of, it's free will. And we'll see how that works and in, in we'll get to verse 6 and 7. But So he's talking about this collection for the Jerusalem Christians, and we find about this if you read some of the Roman historians um, what this is, but the term they use is kind of interesting, and sometimes, I've said this before, when you're studying the Bible, sometimes just getting a different translation will help you understand it. The two we have out there, we have the ESV, which is what I read from most of the time, which is kind of more of a study type of Bible, it's a, what they call a word-for-word translation, and then we have the New Living Translation, which is more dynamic equivalent, meaning it's more phrase for phrase or thought for thought. So it says the ministry for the saints. And we, when we think saints, we don't think what it means in the Bible usually. Um, and we get what it means in the Bible pretty clearly. Uh, saints in the Bible just means believers. So I know it's going to be hard, to, but if you believe in Jesus, you are a saint. It has nothing to do with New Orleans football teams. It has nothing to do with statues that people make to you after you're dead, Uh, in the Bible. I mean, if you want people to call them that, that's up to them, but that's not what it means here. And you see this in the New Living Translation. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. That's exactly what that term means. It's Jerusalem believers here, but just in general, it's just saints. Now, think about that. If you went to dinner, supper, or lunch after this, and you sat down with somebody from another church, and you said, you know, I'm a saint, are you? That'd be a little arrogant. Or what do we? There's the term we use a lot. It's like, well, I'm no saint. It's like, well, actually, you kind of (laughs) are, if you're a, a believer. So, again, that's the context here. But you have to be careful how you use that in other ways. But in the in the New Testament, it's always used just for believers. So. Um, we could try to push that, tell people they're wrong, and, and that's up to you. But I just want to make sure you know the context here. This isn't uh, just a few people, it's anybody who believes. Now, we know from this history that there was a great famine in Palestine under the emperor Claudius. We find this in some uh, ancient uh, Roman historian writings. In 46-47 is when it really got bad. And we, we see it actually talked about in Acts 11. Um but you can imagine the economic effect coming having come off of that um we see that today right we, we had some covid shutdown and I- is anybody still feeling the economic effect of that um you know it's it's it 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 goes on for years and in second corinthians was was most likely written around 55 and it's it's really bad in in jerusalem they can't make ends meet a lot and so that's what paul is doing he's going around asking churches that have means to help this other church. You know, we do that, right? I mean, look, you can look at our budget. We've got different places that we give to for missionaries, and sometimes you'll get uh, appeals for Christians in other areas, and that doesn't even have to be outside of the United States, you know, and sometimes it might happen to us, you know. So that's what he's doing, and and he used the Macedonians, to the example of the Macedonians, to inspire the Corinthians and now he's kind of saying hey if you guys give your s- give what you promised then i can use you as an example to other people uh, to help. So and then again he he does this in verse 5 he says i ur- i urge you the brothers to go ahead of you and manage this and that's again we talked about this last week a little bit. You know one of the worst things you can do in a church or any christian nonprofit is to misuse the funds. You always want to make sure you do a good job. He's doing it here. Uh, m- last week, he mentioned some of the people that they trusted, and that's who they gave the money to. Um, so it's good advice for any church today. You want to do due diligence, checks and balances, ensure financial gifts are handled in a trustworthy way. Um, if we have a church audit, it's not just to see if we got all the numbers added up correctly. It's to make sure our practices are right so people can't uh, take money. You know, Because what, what are we going to say? You don't hire a treasurer and say, hey, don't take any of the money. It's not the way to start the conversation. Uh, we, we assume it's not going to happen that way, but it's still due diligence. And that's kind of what Paul's doing, just practical advice so they can, they'll can they give. And then, but there's something in the background here that I didn't talk about last week, but I wanted to talk about this week. And you've got to think about this. There's a bi- there was a big controversy in the first century church. And we see this uh, a couple places. If you remember, right after Paul was... Uh, his road to Damascus experience when he becomes a believer, a saint, I guess we could say. What was he chosen for? When, when Acts 9 it says, the Lord told said to him, go, for he is chosen, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So, this is new. I- anybody know what a Gentile is? It's not gen- gentile. Gentile is not a Jew. That's pretty, it's it. So, of all the people in the world, there's Gentiles and Jews. That That's everybody. And that's the way it was looked in the Old Testament, and we see that in the New Testament, too. So, Paul was commissioned by God to go to the Gentiles. This is a different mission to make that the main thing. And what happened is there was controversy. Uh, so, around 48, 49 A.D., all the apostles and a bunch of uh, people who were working in the mission field, as we would call it, uh, making disciples, came together to try to make a decision on this, Uh, which is a good thing to do. We call this the Jerusalem Council. It's the first church council. Um, So being sent on their way by the churches, verse 3 in chapter 15, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria. This is Paul and Barnabas and some of his compatriots, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. So Paul got commissioned, they went out, that's all those letters we have, they end up getting to Corinth, hence the name here, and brought joy to all the brothers, which is another term for believer. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believed who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, some believers, so these are Christians. So have you ever wondered if any Pharisees became Christians? Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Read that. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them in order them, for them to keep the law of Moses. This is the controversy. Do you have to become a Jew before you become a Christian? Now for us that's not a big deal. I mean I've never had anybody come in and say you know do we have to you know a male I guess in this case you know it's like well I want to join your church. What do I have to do? Well, you know, just get circumcised and baptized not not hard, you know we don't do that do we? and that would be w- you laugh because it would be weird to say that because that's not the way we do it because of this council, if nothing else and that this this had to be decided and and it's interesting if you read through the rest of this the of acts and we're going to look at Galatians and Ephesians quickly what was the decision they made? And it's James, the brother of Jesus, who's the writer of the book of James, is the one who's kind of the head of the Jerusalem church. And they just kind of talk about it. They look at Old Testament. They pray about it. And then eventually James stands up and says, you know, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that we should not trouble the Gentiles any longer about these things. And that has been the decision that's lasted, you know. No, you don't have to become a Jew bef- before you. You know, what do we do with the old covenant? You have to bring yourself back into that time. Think about it. If you were a Jew that went to the temple every day to sacrifice, or at least on Yom Kippur and Passover, and all of a sudden now they're saying, I don't need to do that anymore. And your kid's circumcision, yeah, whatever. I mean, this was a 2,000 year old ordinance thing that they were following. It's a little harder for them. For us, it it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come into our minds but there was a time that and this is talked about here in Galatians by Paul that Peter if you remember remember Peter and Cornelius back in Acts 10 remember Peter's up in Joppa and he's on the house and he's got this big sheet vision that comes down and says eat all this non-kosher food and he's like, "Well, I can't do that. I'm a Jew." And then the spirit, Jesus, says, "You know what God has made clean, don't don't you don't call unclean." Uh and then he went to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and and he became a believer and all that kind of stuff. So he had that experience. Well, after that, it seems like Peter kind of pulled back and started to say, well, maybe maybe we're supposed to be, maybe we're supposed to follow the Jewish customs too. And this is what Paul is referring to here in Galatians. for For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. He's talking about Peter there. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. So apparently they were... You know, eating together, which you're not supposed to do in the in, in the Phariseetic Code. So Peter just said, Well, you know, I'm not gonna eat with them anymore, even though he had that experience. Um fearing the circumcision party. Maybe we should have one of those two. We got Republicans, Democrats, and circumcision. I <laughs> wonder how that would go. <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't know if I'd donate to that party. What well, we can we can see. Uh <laughs> And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. So Paul is saying this was a problem. Now, this is before the Jerusalem council. Um, if you read Acts 15, Peter comes out real strong that we don't need to circumcise anybody. He came to his senses. But when I saw that their conduct was not in, in step with the truth of the gospel, I said Cephas, which is an Ar- Aramaic name for Peter. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You just call him a hypocrite. You know why? He was. We don't really hear, you know, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, circumcision, following all these other ordinances, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith, in christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified pretty cool that he writes that and peter and it's kind of cool with peter too isn't it we always think well he's a saint (laughs) or or he's an apostle but he messed up here but he learned um peter messes up a lot if you read his you know the gospels but he always comes back at a heart for god So this gets decided, and you see it kind of in Ephesians 3, which is the end of the theological section of Ephesians. Paul says this, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what he's trying to get people to understand. It doesn't make any difference if you're Jew, Gentile. It makes a difference if you follow Christ. Um, and that, that comes down to us, right? So what Paul's doing, he appears to believe that it will produce goodwill in the collective church if these mostly Gentile Christians from Corinth and Macedonia will show their love to the mostly Jewish Christians in Jerusalem by giving them a large monetary gift of their surplus. And I think he, I think he was right. We see this historically. I mean, I think it was kind of an olive branch gift to give them. Uh, if we read in later letters, it seemed to work pretty well. So Paul's being very wise here. Uh, Didn't have to do it, but he's saying that we should. So then we get to the verses that we We use this. I don't remember when we uh, were building this church. These are the verses we kind of used to, you know, we invite people to give. You don't tell them they have to give. You know, we're not going to hand you a card and say, well, this is what you make. This is what you should give you know if you came to me and said how much I should give and I'm like, "Oh, what makes you happy?" <laughs> Why? Well, because the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's a good line. Um and I realize I've probably done that before. I suppose I've r- written a check to the church and I wasn't super happy. Um, but again, it's, it's what are you doing it for? If, it, it, if you're being compelled to do it just to get the pastor to shut up, which is hard to do when you give me a mic, it, that, you shouldn't do it that way. Uh, that's not why you should do it. Uh, you, you, you're supposed to give because you want to give. And we've said this before, and I know it's a little flippant to say it this way, but, what you know, if somebody says, well, what if we don't get enough money to make our budget? Well, what would you do if you don't make, I guess you ask for more clothes. I don't know. I mean, it's not the end of the world, right? <laughs> it's not night, but, and to, if you didn't know that, and most of you who are here probably already do, that have been here a while, we always have plenty, it seems like, um, must have a lot of cheerful givers and that's great it's it's it it makes ministry a lot easier i'll tell you that uh i have colleagues that you know they're worried about whether they're going to get paid next month i've never had to worry about that and that's nice and uh, and ministries know that their budget's going to be there why because you guys i think understand that you're giving because god has gifted you not because i got to do this whether i like it or not you know it's the cheerful part he uses this agricultural metaphor, which is kind of good because harvest is starting. Um, but the underlying reason for Paul encouraging them to give is again back to Galatians here in chapter six, why we do this? Hopefully that every dime you give somewhere is spreading the gospel, either here or abroad. If it's not, then and I realize it's a little hard to put, you know, air conditioning in with spreading the gospel, but it doesn't hurt. Uh I mean, you have to do those things. I mean, somebody had to pay for all the temple upkeep, right? You know, you got to shine that gold and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff there. And, you know, what did they do in the temple most of the time? They killed stuff. If you kill stuff, it's messy. I've seen it. We used to have a building real near to 2,900 cows a day or whatever it was they killed. I mean, there's a lot of blood. I mean, somebody's got to pay for the Blood sucker upper, right? I mean, you know, this isn't, a, and how does that directly relate to Yahweh? Well, I don't know. And that happens here too. I mean, you just have to try to keep it in perspective. But in Galatians 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, what we tend to do is, like, elect- we got Bible study over here and we got giving to the church over here, and that probably should all kind of come together. Now, we're not going to take up offering in the Bible study. That's just here. Um, Uh, But the idea is it's all about getting the gospel to people and making disciples. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, they also will reap. He's taken that proverb and saying, this isn't just about giving things. It's giving of yourself to make disciples and be a better disciple yourself, which part of that becomes monetary. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So that's the key, right? What difference does it make if we have air conditioning if nobody's saved? (laughs) It's nice to have both, I would think. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's a, yes, church Give to church first. I don't, Some of the parachurch ministries that we use is Stand to Reason, Reasonable Faith, um, uh, what's cross-examined, uh, Wretched, we're using that now. Um, they all say the same thing if you read there. We encourage you to give to your local church first. But if you think our ministry is helpful, we would ask that you would prayerfully consider giving to us after that. What a good, because they're reading this verse and other verses like it. You know, bloom where you're planted, give money to those who you, you're getting, just but also think about that. And, and I know a lot of you do give to other uh, places, and that's fine. And just as an aside, you notice the word that's not in here anywhere. You know how many times we're told to tithe in the New Testament? None. Does that mean it's bad to do that? No, I'm do what you want. If it makes you cheerful to tithe, then tithe. Tithe is just word for tenth, it's not really that complicated. So, point one, carry the knot. You got it, right? It's not hard. Pretty easy. So this is one of the main reasons that the giver can be cheerful because they get what they give helps make disciples and shows that other true disciples their love for them. That's what it's all about. First John hits it pretty well. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the believers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's a pretty good line, isn't it? Put your money where your mouth is, is the way Paul put it last last chapter. And when you look at verse 8 and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work there's a lot of alls and everys in there isn't there We sing about grace we talk about grace I think we understand grace but this says God is able to make all grace abound in you We tend to think of grace kind of as a as a one time snapshot that you know we're guilty We accept God's grace, and now through his love we are saved and can live a life of gratitude. Yes, that's true, but grace doesn't just stop there. Look at this. God is able to make you, make all grace abound in you. It's an ongoing thing. So grace here is kind of the shorthand for the whole sum of these unmerited blessings which come to believers through Jesus Christ. Maybe we could do the children's sermon. It's by grace that your heart's still beating. It's by grace that the beans actually have beans on them when you come through and combine them, you know? Yeah, you put them in there, and we're going to look at how that works. But grace is something that continues to go through us, even though it is what gets us in the door. So it's this unconditional, meaning God's going to give it to you, not because you deserve it. That would not be grace. Undeserved, eternal, eternal stooping down to pardoning love of God. That's what grace is. You cannot experience the love of God without his grace. I realize that's not true in other relationships, but it is in this one. Because I don't know if you've figured that out yet, but you're not equal to God. Something has to happen, and that's what the cross is showing us. This is grace. This is the primary New Testament use of the phrase. It's just stooping love that comes down that we don't deserve. And when you understand that, that's why we sing amazing, you know, we sing that because it is amazing. Because it's, you know, what greater love, as we say. You know, it's pretty cool stuff. But again, you're not getting re-saved. You're getting animated, essentially, by God uh, through his spirit as an ongoing thing. So it's many-sided to us, uh, but it has one source. That's what you always have to remember. The one source is new life in Christ. That's why we sing about it. Uh, So in this particular case, in giving, God is able, it says. God is able. I like the way it's put that. God is able. So that means we have some responsibility too, right? He's able, but he doesn't force you. You have to desire to have faithful stewardship over the gifts he's given. And yeah, maybe he's talking about monetary, but this is talking about all types of ways to help in the church. Um, Those of you that serve in the church... In the way that God has gifted you, you know that that's how you get closer to Him. It's one of the best ways to do it. Um, so if you if you think about that, you know, it's the old uh, how did J.F.K. say it? Ask not what you the country can give to you, but what you can give to the country. I don't. That's not quite right, but we'll go with that. What's that? Yeah, and it's the same thing. When you come to a church, yes, you should look for a church that could give you. The word to help you be a disciple, become a disciple, follow him. Yes, that is very big, but also how can I help? Where can I? And it, maybe we don't have the ministry yet, but you've got the gifts for it. We'll help you get her going. You know, I'll just, you know, we can. we don't have the money for it. Well, maybe we'll get some more cheerful people. I don't know how that works, you know. Um, but again, if you, if you bloom where you're planted and you kind of hit that groove of where you're gifted, and you see people become closer to Christ because you're doing that, it makes all the difference in the world. And sometimes it's not, you know, again, back to the Levites, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe somebody was gifted at you know, blood scrubbing. I don't know. But that had to be done, right? You know, and it's the person doing that saying, eh, I gotta clean up the blood again, I'll be home late. Or I'm doing this so the next person that comes tomorrow can be closer to Yahweh. It's kind of like that old adage, you've heard, probably heard that about the people building the cathedral, the three different guys who are laying the bricks. And you go to the one guy, he said, what are you doing? he's like, putting a brick down, <smart noise> putting mortar there, putting another brick down. The other guy doing the same exact work. He said, what are you doing? Well, I'm building a wall. You know, I'm building all this, it's getting bigger. So he sees a bigger picture. And then you go to the last guy and he says, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral for God. They're all doing the same thing. <laughs> but it's the attitude of what you're doing. That's what, so think about that, you know. God, pray about that. Where can I, I'm not saying we need you to, you know, trying to get a guilt trip on you. It's like, well, Pastor wants me to do something, so I'll figure it out. Where Where could you help? I, in the church and outside of the church. I know a lot of you are doing things, doesn't have to always be inside the church, but God's gifted us. Use it. Um, you can do that in many ways, and I'll do the best I can. The leadership, I know we will, right? We'll do everything we can. If you, th- you have an idea for a ministry that you think, we'll, we'll try it. Because who knows, it might be just what we need. So. And then having sufficiency. I think this is the problem sometimes. We don't think Jesus is sufficient for us. I know, uh, we should know it, but we still don't think. Sufficiency in all things at all times. This is pretty cool. The good gifts of divine grace will always be in proportion to our work. You ever think about that? It's kind of what I just said. And to our sufferings. Going through tough times, which we all do, and putting effort into trying to be a good disciple makes that divine grace that you don't deserve more active. You see that throughout all the scriptures. You know, Paul saying, you know, I just, I just feel so on fire that I get to do this as he's be- getting beat up. We shall feel that, I think we'll, we'll feel that we have enough if we are as we ought to be, if we're in a good connection with, with Yahweh. And you think about it, what we do if we don't think God's enough? God isn't sufficient. We look other places, but it's the only place a person can get the sufficient grace. Why? Because nobody else has it. <laughs> You're not going to get it from anything else. Doesn't mean you can't get fulfilled in, in doing other things. But this is the core. This is the idea So you don't work for salvation. You work through the grace and get closer to God by doing those things that he's gifted you to do. And you maybe say, well, I don't know what I'm gifted in. Well, let's have a conversation. It can't be that hard. I mean, it really comes down to two questions. What do you like to do and what do you desire to do? We'll start there. And then the third one is, what do we think we need? So hopefully you've learned that by this time that the harder your diligent work at being a disciple through the grace, and often, and you guys know this, the darker your sorrows, that's the mightier that have been God's supports. That's when you see it, right? A lot of times we don't see God when things are going well. We don't see God when we don't work hard at our disciples. You know, The work is not to be saved, the work is part of the gratitude, right? Working hard for God. And if you're not, and this comes in with, the verse 7, if you're working for God in the church and you don't like it and you're not cheerful, God doesn't love that because <laughs> God loves a cheerful giver. Don't just put that in money. Put that in your life. And the more brightly his light will shine on your path when you do that. I see it. You know, I look around and I see people that, hey, you want to try this? Not really. Uh, give it a shot, you know. And eight years later, it's like, man, I'm glad I did that. You know, it's like, and I, you know, there's, again, if you volunteer, we'll always give you a back door. If you want out, you know, we can double your pay. (laughs) No, you should always be able to get out, right? Um, You shouldn't say, hey, you want to teach junior high for a couple decades? (laughs) We're not doing that. You know, we can't, you know. And what happens? God always raises up somebody eventually. Sometimes it takes some work, (laughs) but it happens. Uh, And it's not always perfect, I realize that. And then uh, this last part of the verse, you may abound in every good work. So the end of God's dealing with us poor, weak, imperfect creatures is to transform our nature. That's what he's trying to do. And it's shown in our actions that we want to do these things. So I just wanted to hit that grace part a little bit more. It's, if you see, you kind of put it in the, the three ways of looking at it, that you've got a source, Jesus, the sufficiency, because it's the only place you're going to get it. So it obviously is sufficient and in the stream in our lives that come through. So kind of think that through. Don't think of grace as just this one-off thing that you get, and okay, and I've got all the grace I need. No, it's how you live through it. Um, Always. So let's finish up here. Verse 10. He who supplies, excuse me, verse 9. (laughs) As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings of God or to God. By this approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, which is what the action of the grace is. So he quotes these Old Testament texts at the beginning, and they re- refer specifically to God's provision, uh, God's word for the redemption of his people. This is what it's all about. The gifts, the grace, it's all about redemption, having a connection with Jesus. God's promise is that he will use his people and their resources as instruments of his grace for the salvation of others. Um, you you, th- you think about that, I don't know, you, you, you've the kids come up and put a little bit of money in the bucket. You know, you might drop something in the bucket. And, you know, you don't want to wax too corny or anything, but, you know, who knows what that, w- what we use for. I mean, God can use it, right? You know, you can use a metaphor of the loaves and fishes or whatever you want to use, but uh, there used to be a song called Thank You. I can't remember who sung that. You remember? A long time ago, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Uh Ray Bolts, I think, sung that. That's been a long time ago. Uh, but but anyway, the whole idea was this, this story of this woman who went to heaven, and then all these people are coming and thanking her. And there's like three little stories in there about uh, she gave a little bit of money to a missionary, and that missionary went to the country. And in that country, this little guy or this little girl believed, and she's thanking the woman for giving that little bit, you know. God uses it, you know. Saying a prayer with a kid at a, in a Sunday school was another one. I can't remember what the last one was. But then at the end of the song, you know, it was kind of a cure-jerker. You got all these people lining up ready to thank her. You know, Well, that's what we want, right? That's what we want when we get there. Not like, well, you're here by the skin of your teeth. There's nobody here to thank you. You know, that w- that would be the thief on the cross, right? <laughs> but but hey, we've got a chance to do that. So he does that. It's for the salvation of others, ultimately. So he's going to provide for the Corinthians' needs so that they can continuously be generous to other people. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You know, it's, it's, it's in vogue, at least since the 60s, to think, you know, that God likes poor people better than he likes rich people. Um, you know, maybe he does. Uh, but uh, I don't know about that. Does he like, is that true? Uh, some of the people, I have mean, I guess you have to be careful how you say this. Uh, I've met some really generous disciples of Christ that have some means. Um, and I've, I've met some really nasty poor people. And I've met the other side too. And we do know that, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man. Y- you know he's talking about somebody who puts riches first there, right? He's not just, you know, it's not a person who is rich. It's a person who richness is who they are defined by. Um, he uses that. He uses that. I mean, th- there's missionaries that are supported by one family. Multiple missionaries. Uh, we had that. I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a entrepreneur in our, we did a little, uh, some, when we were trying to raise money for the church building. I can't remember the guy's name, but just, You know, all kinds of money through his hard work. And he gives 96% of it away. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And that's probably the way you should look at it. You know, how can I help? And what's the number one thing you're probably supposed to do as a parent? Your number one thing is probably to make sure your family's taken care of, if you can. You know, don't, don't. If, If the pastor says you need to give to the church first before your family, I would go to another church. Um, I'll go with you. That's not what it's about, right? Because God loves a, what kind of giver? Yeah, we got that down yet? And then verse 12 and 13, not only will the believers in Jerusalem give thanks to God for the Corinthian generosity, they will prove this, you know, gotta make you feel good when you see You know, uh, little kid, know the Bible because maybe you give a little bit of money so we can pay for material and all that kind of stuff. It's sometimes little things. So in this regard, Paul holds a similar perspective to that of the Apostle John, and we see this a lot in the first John, who said that love for God could not be present in a believer's life without love for other Christians. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he doesn't just say this is bad, or God's kind of annoyed at this. He's a liar. That is strong. (laughs) I remember reading that for the first time, I'm like, ooh. Well, I love most of them. Not the annoying ones, right? It's very, I mean, this slaps you around. And again, to to quote C.S. Lewis, God tells us to love him and love others, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to like them. Um, not at the start. Love is an action that you can do. So if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, and again, this is a metaphor for believer, other believers whom he has seen, he cannot love God who he has not seen. So it's the whole idea of loving each other because we love God. And then isn't that the first commandment and the second commandment, right? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor, which if you translate that correctly, it's really other believers there. Not that you can't love your neighbor that's not a believer, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is the church coming together to love one another. So as you look at this, hopefully you understand grace a little bit better and the idea this is what we live through. And you understand the fact that being a disciple, you've been gifted to do things. Where in the church and outside of the church can you use these God-given gifts to make a difference uh, for the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. Let us pray. Father, as we look at this I I pray that each one of us realize that uh, what we've been given is grace. Uh, Even though we work hard at uh, our jobs, I hope, and work hard at trying to make money, that we know without you we would have none of it. It's the same thing in our lives uh, serving you as disciples. May we realize that if it wasn't for your grace, that we wouldn't have any connection with you, and we don't deserve it, but may we try to love you by loving others and using the gifts that you give us to make disciples and be a good disciple in your name. Amen.